0: Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Well, good morning. How are you doing? In this snowy, filled—you guys, this is nothing. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, coming from Denver, it is. But it's a different kind of snow. So I am just blessed to see all of you here. And uh, just during worship, man, I felt like God just— just reminded me of something and uh, how many have seen uh, Home Alone like over Christmas time where it's on like 5,000 million times every time you turn on the TV it's Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Home Alone 3 but there's something that happens in that movie that I think really hits me in moments where I feel like we're taking a step forward as a church and uh, there's this moment where this this young boy is home and he hears the thieves say that they're going to come at nine o'clock. He literally hears them talk about their strategy. They're gonna come at nine o'clock and they're gonna steal from this house. And so, what does he do? He like sets up booby traps all over the house, like from the tree house to, you know what I mean? Like all over the house, right? So often as Christians, we forget that we already know that the enemy has a plan. In John 10, it says he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. And we already know this, but so often as Christians, we forget these words that we just sang. I was literally singing it in my chair. I didn't know she was going to do that this morning. I was like, Jesus in the mountains. And then like literally she goes in there. I'm like, yes, because we forget as Christians sometimes that there is power. We sing about it. There's power in the name of Jesus, but we don't always necessarily bring that into our daily lives. When the enemy comes in and he tries to steal, and when he tries to steal our joy and our peace, anxiety is rampant. I don't know where you're at today, but the enemy loves to steal peace almost quicker than anything else these days. Peace and joy, and it's gone, right? God wants us as Christians to step in authority, and I want to read this passage in Psalms 149. This This is in the Passion Translation. And I love this. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It is time. I'm saying this to you as a church. It is time to sing to God a brand new song. I want to stop here. I believe there's a call of God on this house. And I'm prophesying, praying all at the same time. There's obviously a call of worship on the house. But there is new songs being birthed out of this house. Sing. It's time. It's like so bold. It's time to sing to God a brand new song. So that all of his holy people will hear how wonderful he is may israel be enthused with joy because of him and may the sons of zion pour out their joyful praise then it says this break forth into dancing i heard that there was a jericho march recently i thought that was just really awesome break forth in dancing make music and sing god's praises with rhythm of drums for he enjoys his faithful lovers he adorns the humble with his beauty and he loves to give victory He loves to give victory. So this morning as we're worshiping, we're not just like, oh, this is like fun. No, no, no. There's warfare going on. He loves to give us victory. His godly lovers triumph in the glory of God and their joyful praises will rise even while others sleep. See, there are others in the body of Christ that might be still asleep, but God is waking up some houses. And this is one of them that says, I'm going to press in a little bit stronger. I'm going to declare who God is a little bit louder. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to hold back. I am stepping in because I know that thief's coming in at nine o'clock. So there's going to be nails that he's going to step on and he's going to get a little big stomp on his head. That's what's going to happen. And here it goes. God's high and holy praises fill their mouths. I want this to be me for their shouted praises. Listen to this. Are there weapons of war? These warring weapons will bring vengeance on the nations and every resistant power to bind kings and chains and rulers with iron shack- shackles. Verse 9, praise-filled warriors. Is that you this morning? Come on, church. Let this be us. Filled Warriors will enforce the judgment decreed against their enemies. This is the honor He gives to all of us, His godly lovers. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. And I believe God is doing. God is stirring you. You can feel it. You know, it's like even that that hovering over the earth in Genesis, where God is hovering. God's going to speak something. So I just want to challenge us as a church. Don't take this lightly when we come and we praise and we worship and we sing the name of Jesus and we speak the name of Jesus. But you know what else I want to challenge you? It doesn't have to stay here on Sunday. It doesn't have to be here. You can speak life over your family tomorrow morning when you have a rough morning. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can speak life after you go to a doctor's appointment that's not so encouraging. You can speak life because we have the power of God living inside of us and I do believe that there's a call of worship on this house. There is just the hand of God stirring, stirring, stirring. so be a part of it. You don't have to be on stage to be part of it. be part of the community that's like, oh, I get it. We're not just singing cool songs this morning. We are stepping in to a warfare season as a church. We're taking back ground that the enemy stole from us he stole from us he tried to make the church asleep he tried to just like bring all sorts of things no he's god is waking us up and we're going to take back some ground i hope we don't go back to that song necessarily you know the song come back to the enemy's camp no but we are going to take back ground that the enemy stole from us amen all right love you guys so much
1: Now, how many of you just almost out of rebellion want to sing that song right now? Just There's something in me that wants to just take it back. Okay, hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, how many of you were not here last night? Can you wave at me just so I can kind of see uh, just introduction-wise? All right, good to see you this morning. Uh, as I start, I want to just do something that I, I like to do because I, I love pastors so much. But I really want to honor your pastors this morning. And, uh, you know, we've gotten to know them a little bit. Uh, not just th- this weekend, but we've had some we've had some talks. We've had some talks with them in Colorado, and and it was just good to get out of Colorado and away from the snow. And <laughs> here we are. Um, but I I really uh, want to honor your pastors this morning. They are the real deal. They have a heart for God. They are filled with sincerity and character and integrity, and they believe with all their hearts. That God has called them to serve this house and to build a house that's filled with worship and Jesus this morning, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, we're so honored to be here, but I, I really, um, I just, I just really want to honor both of you this morning for all your sacrifice and your hard work, and all your dreaming and your vision and your tears and your songs and church. I'd like you to do something. Can you please stand to your feet this morning, just clap and shout and scream for your pastors this morning, and just tell them how much you love them. You guys are amazing. Yep. It's all true. Thank you. Thank you. you can be seated. I um I my voice is cracking. It's it's uh it's midlife puberty. Um so it's good to be here this morning. Uh, we pastor a church in Denver, Colorado, uh, called the called the Pearl. We're right downtown Denver, uh, right in the middle of the city. We've been there thirteen years. It's been a great journey. Um, I'm originally 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 from Hawaii, and and uh, but grew up in Oregon. My wife's a missionary kid from Africa, um, who's actually Canadian, right? Canadian. And so every time that we come back to Canada, I have to hear about it the whole trip. And she just doesn't do anything but compliment you and Canada and leaves me out and doesn't talk about us, our family, our children, the love of our marriage, our anniversary that's coming up. Canada overshadows everything. Um, Not too long ago we're sitting on the couch, true story, we're just sitting on the couch, just want to give you an example of, my, my wife has these Canadian outbursts, you know, there's a condition, I don't know what the name is, but it's a condition, and we, we're sitting on the couch not too long ago, and my wife, we're, I don't know what we were watching, something, it might have been hockey, maybe, just trying to, you know, we, we had a great hockey year in Colorado, we did, you know? um, and my wife just starts singing the the, the national anthem, your, your national anthem. So we're sitting on the couch, and she just starts to sing the Canadian na- national anthem. I'm like, I'm like, well, awesome, Yeah. What? And then, like out of nowhere, my my uh, my two daughters join in, and uh, my two daughters are singing the national, the, the Canadian national anthem. Now I don't, I, this, and this wasn't a setup. This was spontaneous. And so then all of a sudden, they're singing with all their hearts. They're, they're belting it out in the living room. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking... I'm looking at my daughters, like, how do you know the words to this? How do you know the words? And, and all of a sudden, they stand up, and Donna has got her hand on her heart, and my my kids are, are are got their hands up like they're worshiping Jesus. I don't know what's going on. I look over at my dog, and I'm like, did you know about this? Like, why are you, this is a true story. And I, I just sat there and just listened, and, I, and, I, and we show up here this week, and immediately my, my wife is my wife is Canadian from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. Come on, she loves you, and so do I. She's from in this area. We have family all over the, all over the region from, you know, Vancouver and up in Chilliwack and a bunch of, bunch of churches that her family started a long, long, long long time ago called Glad Tidings Churches, and her great-grandfather, a man named Reg Lazell, was a, was a great man of God, and um, uh, you know, I was the wild seed grafted into the vine of Israel um, when I married her, <laughs> and they let me know, okay? So um, that's a little bit of, about us. We, we are, um, we've been pastors a long time. We've been pastoring for over 30 years, about 30 years. Actually, we were both in ministry a little bit before we got married, um, and it's been an incredible journey. It's been an absolute, an absolute joy. Um, God's doing a new thing. Can I hear an Amen. Okay, God's doing a new thing, and I just want to kind of continue a, a little bit in the spirit of last night um, and just, you know, praying and thinking about all of you and, and what God's doing in your church. Uh, I, think that, I think that you, you really are, a, you know, a house of worship. that that is a special thing. Not every church, every church worships, but not every church has a mantle for worship. There's a little, there's a little difference. Like we all have a a mantle like to worship Jesus. Can I hear an amen, right? We all worship Jesus. And you know, some churches have great sports ministries. Some have great preaching ministries. Some have, you know, there can be 25 different things. Your church truly does have a, a mantle for worship on it. I know that comes from your pastors on down, but but it is, really, it is really special because what happens is is that it's not really, at the end of the day, it's not a, it's not a worship mantle. It's a, it's a mantle to have a heart to usher in the presence of Jesus, right? So there, you're, you're a worshiping church, but you're really a presence church. And I think that that's very special and I think it's needed right now. Because I think that the presence of God is, um, is something that we need to make sure that our hearts, our minds, our spirits are aligned with in, in the sense of we want more of the presence of Jesus, right? That, that's the presence of Jesus is the game changer. Everything changes with the presence of Jesus. Like you can do all, you can work as hard as you want. You can work yourself to death. And then one day the presence of Jesus just shows up and does in 10 seconds, what you've been trying to do for 10 years. And so let's be the kind of people that want the presence of Jesus as often and as, and as powerfully as we can possibly have it. But then also uh, just, just in the flow of my heart and my thoughts about you, you're also a home for people, and I think, that, I think that there is a, there's a strong mixture here of presence of Jesus, but also a pastoring home for people. And um, this is a home. It's a church. You have good pastors. When we uh, have been talking the last couple of days, we don't sit around and talk about worship. You know what we talk about? We talk about you. We talk about loving you, about pastoring you. We talk about the church. We talk about the journey of the church. We've talked about all kinds of things. I think worship might have been even the last thing on the list as I'm talking and asking questions. We're just talking about building the church and having healthy church. So I believe that you're going to be a presence. You are, but in in the future here, because this is what this city needs. It needs a presence-driven church that is also a pastoral place where people can feel safe and loved, and cared for, and I believe that is what you have here, yes, right? I really believe that. That's a big deal. That's a big deal in, in this culture, and in this season, when so many churches uh, woke up one day and realized that they just weren't quite as presence-driven as they thought, and their homes and their, their infrastructure began to really take a hit. I'm, I'm just very happy for you. Like, I'm really overwhelmed in my heart, Uh, and have a lot of joy for you, because I know what God's going to do here, and and it's so wonderful. And the last thing, just just an introduction, because sometimes my introductions are longer than my messages. Um, uh, That that if you're a home for people, you you are also a people of inheritance. Now, inheritance is one of those words, I'm not preaching that today, but I think it's one of those things that needs to be preached more in the kingdom of God, because, because you're not just making something up. Like, this isn't a brand new thought to have a church here and to build a people and, and to do something together. It's not a new thought. You're actually fulfilling an inheritance that God has promised, not just to the pastors, but all of you. Some of you are sitting here today, and you've been on a journey with local church, like people in our church has. And, and you've, you've prayed, and you felt God say to you, uh, young man, young, young woman, mom, dad, whatever, I'm going to put you in a church And you're going to find a church family. You're going to find a church home. You felt the Lord say that to you. And so you have found that here. That is a representation of inheritance. And some of you actually um, were about to give up. Some of you are about to give up. Some of you have already given up on local church and then God brought you back here and God's begun to do a new work in you and some of the old ways that you thought and things that you felt have begun to go to the wayside because the presence of Jesus is here and you're experiencing a family, a house with people who love the presence of Jesus, but you're actually experiencing inheritance because God has a plan for you and a promise for you. He does, he's got a promise for you. He promises you you're gonna have a house. And that you can raise your kids in it, and it 's going to be awesome. I pray for thousands of kids that tear things up, eat sugar, go home, and tear up mom and dad 's house. I pray that on every church I go to. Amen um, So I want to talk this morning then a little bit on the on the subject of inheritance because I think I think it 's apropos for for where all of you are at today and I think that in this season, I know you 're at the five year Mark now as pastors and in your own life, you go through seasons and you have markers in your life, lines of demarcation that say something uh, about the past and where you're going. So a five year mark for for a church is a big deal because most people, um, even though you've been here three, four years, some most people don't really settle in their hearts that a church is going to be their church long term for five years now a lot of that is practical because of of careers and jobs and locations and education but people who kind of get into that five-year cycle start to look at the church and they say there's something here for me and I'm going to raise my kids here five is also the number of grace and for your leaders I pray that that the five-year marker is a time of fresh grace come on how many of you want fresh grace fresh anointing for your leaders, fresh uh, strength and passion and, and, and just that, that presence, that leadership openness to the Holy Spirit. We want that, right? So five is the number of grace. And as you move from here forward, there is a season that you will face that is the result of the season that you just came out of, but it's not like the season that you came out of. They're different. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak today from Joshua chapter 1. Okay, Joshua chapter 1, probably one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible. If you're a Bible person, let me just read a few verses. We'll jump in and we'll get through this. Okay, So I'm going to start in Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. I I will end in about verse 6. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid. Of course, he was more than an aid. That's a, that's a rendering of a, of, a, of a word that actually means more than aid. It's almost more like a son. It's more like an impartation, a son who wants impartation. And last night we sat here and we lingered in the presence of Jesus, you know, and it's that Joshua anointing lingering in the tent. So he's more than an aid, okay? Moses' aid. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you, speaking to Joshua... Everyone say, that's me. Say, that's me. Okay, now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. So there's a continuation of a promise here. uh, you're, You're receiving and fulfilling promises that were made to you many generations ago. And when I'm with Donna's family, I realize, you know, that I'm only entering into her life and her family at a, at a, at a season of many seasons of the church, of many seasons of revival, you know. That go back; it goes back into the early '40s um, in Africa and different places. And I get to come in at a, at a, at a moment, and, and then I'm. But I'm also fulfilling some of the promises that that grandfathers and great grandfathers were praying. I remember when I first met uh, Don, one of Donna's grandmothers. Uh, she was actually on her deathbed. I, she was almost 100 years old, and I think I, we were just dating. I can't re- I, I can't remember, but we came here and we went to visit her, and she's laying in bed. She hadn't actually talked. For, for days. I mean, she just didn't talk that much, but she read. She read a lot. Her mind was sharp, and she was reading. And on the wall in this home where she lived, there were hundreds of pictures all over the wall of every single family member for like three generations. You know, and, and then on this one wall was all the living relatives, all the grandchildren, all the great-grandchildren, all their spouses, and all their children. And right there at the bottom of the pile was me. And I was like, come on, somebody. It was a little intimidating. I got to be honest. <laughs> I felt like the whole weight of the world was on me. But, uh, you know, and there I was on the wall. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I am simply coming in at a moment where many people before have been praying in the family for fulfilled promises, right? And so, and so just as I promised Moses and, and great-grandma, grandpa, all the way down, you are get to receive this. Verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. Uh, And from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. Now, all through this, you'll see the word will. Like, I will extend your territory. I will be with you. I will never leave you. Um, And There's uh, actually, I think, six different wills in this. When God says something about a promise, it's not a maybe. It's a will. God doesn't go, I might fulfill my promises to you. I might help you out if you're in trouble. I've been talking to Elijah about the possibility of sending you a little help when you're surrounded by armies. Haven't made my decision yet, right? If your attitude is good enough, I might send you into the land to, to have the promise that was promised Moses, because Moses was so much smarter than you, and if you can just read a lot right now and take some seminars and go to church planting 101, on one I might give you uh, an inheritance, but I'm not sure yet. God never deals in maybes. He only deals in wills, and then we respond accordingly. I will never leave you. Or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you and then the will. We don't inherit just the promise, but we inherit the will. I will, I will, I will, I will. And then he flips it and he goes, and you will. And you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your ancestors that I would give them. Father, I just thank you for today. I pray you would anoint the service. Lord, I pray that you would anoint... Just the message to land where it needs to land in our hearts and our spirits today. And I thank you for this wonderful church. And I pray, Lord, that as they stand on the bank of the Jordan River, looking forward to the next five years, I pray, Lord, that you would do something very special in their midst, that you would perform miracles, that you would displace armies and enemies, that you would open up land, that you would give them a sense of grace that is upon them in everything they do in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Okay. So, so the, the, the book of Joshua, great book. Um, if you were to go, if, if like, if Joshua was a movie, and you were to do on-demand and look for it, you'd find it in the, in the action section. You know what I mean? Like, like it's nothing but but people dying and battles, you know, battle after battle after battle, and then those battles lead to inheritance. I mean, it's an action movie all the way, probably rated R, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a serious book, but it's one of the most amazing books in the whole Bible. And um, when you read it, you, you realize, oh my gosh, I've heard of all these stories, but I didn't know they were in Joshua. Joshua is filled with intrigue. It's filled with strategy. Actually, throughout human history, some some military leaders have gone back to the book of Joshua to actually learn how Joshua fought some of his battles. And they've brought that into, uh, you know, in not modern history, but they've brought it into battles that have been fought that you can read about because it's a a genius book for battle strategy. Um, It's a book where actually Jesus shows up. You know, Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. There's eight, depending on how you translate a couple of Hebrew words, but there could be nine. But there's eight specific times where Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. Because because how many of you know God is the same today, yesterday, and what? Forever. He's he's there. He's a part of the Trinity. I mean, he showed up. It's called a Christophany. Um, He showed up. There were eight different Christophanies in the Old Testament. And one of them is in Joshua. And if you know the story about how they're getting ready to go into Jericho, to to fight in Jericho, the, the army's there, you know the story? And there's a warrior out in the field. And Joshua looks across and he's like, who is this guy in the middle of the field, dressed for battle, right? So Joshua just hoofs up to him and is like, hey, bro, that's not in the Bible, but it's close enough for today. It's like, bro, what are you doing? What's up? Are you for me? Are you against me? And the guy just looks at Joshua and goes, No. Joshua, I don't think you understand. I need to know if you're with me or against me. I mean, if you're with me, great, get in line. If if you're not, then get out of my way. Or, you know, we're going to kill you. Are you for me, against you? And the guy goes, no. And he says, Joshua, if you knew who you were talking to right now, you'd actually take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. Joshua is where the phrase holy ground comes from. Joshua is the book where we have this incredible story about Jericho. How many of you love the story of Jericho. I love it. It's one of my favorites. It's in kids, you know, songs. And, you know, when, I was, when I, my kids were little, um, I had a hard time reading the Bible to them at night because I was really tired. And there was a doll in the 80s. If you took the doll and the doll went this way, her eyes closed, that's me. So, like, like if I had laid down on the bed to try to read stories to my kids, I, my eyes would close and they would be like, Dad, fell asleep in the middle of the story again, right? So I started doing this thing called Stories in the Dark. And I would turn off the lights and I would animate and stand in the room and I would do all the characters in the dark and the kids would have to imagine. And I was like, and I would go crazy. One of my favorites was like Jericho because at the end of the story, I would jump into the air and I would fall on the ground like the walls were falling down. And they'd be like, dad's hurt. Are you okay, dad? I'm like, no, you know. And uh, but what an incredible story. In Jericho, hiding in the wall was a prostitute. And the prostitute's name was Rahab. And she's the one who hid the spies. And this is an incredible story story about how how at least 40 there's 45 generations minimum between Rahab and Jesus but she actually married one of the generals of the army who was a part of the tribe of Benjamin and she became the 45th great grandmother of Jesus and you read it you can read about her in Matthew you know she's in Matthew in the genealogy just to think that in the genealogy of Jesus is a prostitute if that's not a picture of grace somebody right And in the book of Joshua, the sun stands still. The sun literally stands still in the sky. I mean, it's an incredible book, but the entire book, if you take the whole book and you boiled it down to one specific moment, it would be the moment that Moses dies and Joshua wakes up and he has to cross the Jordan River and take these people into the promised land. The entire book, the crux of the whole story is at the bank of the Jordan River. And he takes people across the land. Moses didn't get to see the promise uh, fulfilled. And here's Joshua looking across the river and he sees the promised land and he sees Jericho and he sees all the seven different um, nations that he would ultimately end up conquering that were on the other side of the, the river. And he's standing there and he has to go fulfill the promise that was given to Moses, now given to him. Joshua's ultimate story is a story of God's people fully occupying God's promise. Okay, so for you, this is just side note. Like for you, if he's made you a promise, he wants you to fully occupy the promise. He does. And it's not semantics. It's not rhetoric. It's Bible. It's, it's real. And he wants all of us to fully occupy God's promises, okay? So this is a story, number one, about taking promised ground, but not any ground. There's lots of ground. I can't get into the the background of this here, but there's a difference between taking promise ground and any ground. Any ground is is any ground that you take because something in the promise scared you. Because you went left or right, because going down the middle is scary sometimes. You know, going down the middle, uh, plowing through the middle is harder than going around the outside and avoiding conflict. Now, my wife and I, we had a promise. We had a promise that, that we would plant a church in Denver, Colorado from God. No man gave me that. There was no strategy meeting. There was no elders meeting where they're like, let's see what city. we would never been to Denver, Colorado in our life. We were driving down the road We're in a minivan. And by the way, minivans are of God for a season, but not forever. And so... For those of you who are in the minivan season, I want to just fulfill, I want to fulfill a a promise to you. Like, like looking across the Jordan River someday, you will, you will have a car where the kids can climb over to the backseat by themselves. It's a promise from the Lord. Um, So, when we left Portland, it was, there was no, it were, I got a minivan, we got the GPS out, I looked at Donna and said, where do you want to plant a church, is that, if that's what we're doing? And we backed it all the way out, and all we could see was the outline of the, of the U.S., and there was eight cities, and it was Chicago, and L.A., and Miami, and da, 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 da. right in the middle was Denver, Colorado, and I, and I realized I'd never been there, knew nothing about it. It was like, it was like a mystery to me, and Donna looks at it, and she says, what about Denver? And that was how we ended up, that's a God thing. Like, it's the most subjective thing that I've ever done. I'm prophetic, but I'm not that prophetic. I mean, like, like you guys understand, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a prophet, but like, I'm systematic. You know what I mean? Donna is ushering in the presence of Jesus. Revival is taking place. I'm in the corner and I'm doing process. There's 13 people on the ground over here. That's going to take five people to pick them up. So which five people? It's got to be people that we trust. We've got to have a training session for those five people because we want them to pick them up the right way. We're going to come up with a name, you know, for that team. We've got to have a name for the team so that they can identify. I'm part of the pickup team. You know, she's moving in revival. And I'm over here making spreadsheets. You know what I mean? But it's still prophetic. So here we are, and we got to go. We're going to Denver. Let's go to Denver. Let's start a church in our minivan, and let's give up that thing called a paycheck. (laughs) How How many of you like your paychecks? How many of you like your paychecks? Be 42 years old and give up your paycheck because of a minivan and a GPS. I'm just saying. So here we go. We go over the Rocky Mountains, and we had this little goldfish. I joked about it last night. It probably shouldn't have, but I had this little goldfish that we wanted a children's children's harvest party, and my wife named it Nemo. That was <laughs> creative. Um, Nemo, Nemo's going with us. All we had was what was in our car. We quit our job. We were about to empty most of our retirement. We were doing everything we could on a word from God that we were going to plant a church. And this is a, this is a. We're going over the Rocky Mountains and poor little Nemo came from sea level. And when you take a little goldfish from sea level and you take him up to 10,462 feet, that's the point that you go over to Denver, all of a sudden little Nemo's eyeball started to pop out of its head and Nemo just kind of floated all the way down to Denver just kind of like this. We got to Denver and finally he just rolled over like this and my wife began to cry and my kids began to cry. So we lost our job, we lost our we lost being we quit our job, we lost our paychecks, we moved from our friends, our Our kids moved away from all their friends. We left one of the greatest youth ministries in America. We were so privileged to lead. We had nothing but 16 people that would ultimately follow us. None of them had jobs. None of them. I told you last night, they were mostly from Portland. They were all baristas. They had no job, master's degrees, no job. But we had good coffee on our church plant. We had no money, but we had good And all of a sudden, we land in Denver, Colorado, and I look at Donna, and it's like, are we in the promise of God? Because if we are, it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what's on our paycheck. It doesn't matter that our goldfish died. It doesn't matter that our kids are crying. It doesn't, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is are we taking promised ground? Because if we are taking promised ground, then the full provision of God will be backing us up. My mother-in-law, Sharon Wager, Canadian from here, one of the LaZell family, she passed away suddenly, um, just right before Christmas and it was a very tragic thing for us and we're still sort of working through that you know she died suddenly of of leukemia and she was gone in a matter of days she went into urgent care uh, because of maybe a flu and then on a Monday and by Thursday she was in heaven and and so what we've done is we've sat around a lot and talked about all the lessons that we learned from Pastor Sharon. She's an incredible lady, you know, missionary in Africa. And, and, uh, and I, I, remember, I remember the story when Donna was born. Donna was, Donna, when she was, um, when Sharon was nine months pregnant, they lived in Africa, they lived in Uganda during the years of Idi Amin. Now, not everybody will know who Idi Amin is, but if you're a little older, you you'll remember the story. He was a, a man who, who, a genocidal uh, military leader who killed millions of his own people in Uganda. Well, my wife was about to be born in the middle of that. And in the middle of the night, the soldiers were coming in to shut their church down. And so Bob and Sharon and their family got in a car, and they drove, and they escaped in the middle of the night. And they got across the border into Nairobi, Kenya. And my wife was born in Nairobi, Kenya, right? And so then they came in the next Sunday. The soldiers came in and martyred everyone in the church on the next Sunday. They shot everybody. And when um, they went back a few years later to the little building. There were still bloodstains on the ground. And one man was playing the trumpet. Uh, Bob's a trumpet player. And he had taught this young man how to play a trumpet and then given him his trumpet when he left to go to uh, Kenya. Uh, where Donna was born, and a couple years later, they got back there, and there was a bullet hole through the bell of the trumpet laying on the ground. And so these are the, the prices that people paid to, to preach the gospel, you know what I mean? And over the years, they would go back to Africa, and people would always say, they would always say, why would you go back to Africa? That was back when you had to go to Africa on a, on a barge. There was no plane. <laughs> you know, you you know, it took three months to get there. Um, there was no mail. It took six months to a year to get a letter. And that was when Africa was a different place back then. Why would you go there? It's so dangerous. You don't have food. You're over there. Anything could happen. People are killing each other. Tribes are killing each other. Militaries killing each other. And Pastor Sharon had a saying that we learned all the way from that moment, all the way until I married Donna, and all the way until we planted our church in Denver, Colorado. I remember one day she just looked at me and she said this. She said, Doug, When I look at my whole life, what I have realized is that the safest place to be is in the will of God. Safety has nothing to do with whether or not I live or die. Safety is, am I able to fulfill and receive the promise that God has for me? And so every time that we make a decision in our family, we look at each other and we say, hey, by the way, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Because you'll have the full backing of God. And so you have to understand that there's a difference between taking any ground and just taking, and taking promise ground. Any ground can be anything you feel, anything you want. When you don't like something's going on, you're going to go someplace else and go to another church. That's fine. And people do that all the time, and you know, I get it, right? But you better make sure that you have found where it is your promise is about to be birthed because otherwise you're just doing any ground. Any ground people are the people when they don't get used fast enough in the church, they go take a walk to someplace else. Any ground people are the ones who have to have a title and they never really learned how to serve. Any ground people, I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to offend anybody. It's too early in our relationship. (laughs) Number two, uh, taking promised ground requires a call. In verse one, after the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, he talked to him, said, Joshua, this is what you're going to do. It's going to take a call. A call of God is very important when you're fulfilling the promise. You've got to hear from him. If you don't hear from him, then you will live in what I call kingdom insecurity. Kingdom insecurity is like any other kind of insecurity. It's like you don't know who you are and you don't know what you're doing. But if you hear from God, then you have a confidence. Kingdom confidence comes from a kingdom call. You have to be someone who desires to hear the voice of God. Now, in your church, you've heard the voice of God. You're building a great church, but the call is very, very important. I remember when I first um, when I first decided how do I how do I say this? So when I when I first got saved, there was a thing called a Bible College at our church, and I call it a thing because I didn't ne- I'd never heard of it. Okay, I'd heard of all the other colleges, but I'd never heard of a college that has one book, a Bible College. So all I could think in my head, this is how new as a Christian, I was like, do we just sit there and read it all day, every day? Like, what is a Bible college? And I didn't want to go, but I felt something in my heart, and I was like, I need to be trained, what am I going to do? There's a thing called a Bible college at our church, Lord, you got to help me, but I, I was too afraid to give up all of my life to go to a Bible college, and then one day I went to my first prophetic meeting. Now... I was a brand new Christian. Prophetic meetings for me were a bunch of mind readers that got together and got paid to call people out of an audience. Because I didn't know what a prophetic conference was. I'm sitting there in the prophetic conference at a church. Back then our church was called Bible Temple. You may have heard of it. And I'm sitting in the back and I'm watching these prophets and they're prophesying over people. And the weird thing was I knew a couple of the young adults that were on the stage. And they said something to them and I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, how did they know that? I can't take this. It's too intense in here. I got to get out. And I, and I ran out the back of the auditorium into the hall. And I went from the hall into the bathroom because I, I, well, I had to go to the bathroom. But I, I went to the bathroom, but I was kind of hiding. And then as I'm standing in the bathroom stall there, sorry, this is going to get personal, I hear the door open. And when the door opens, the man comes in and stands next to me. And I look up, and it's the prophet. And on top of that, he was Canadian. True story. His name was Dave Hubert. Dave Hubert is standing next to me. And he and I became really, honestly, we became really close friends. I used to come to Canada, and he would take me fishing because he was a big fisherman. Dave Hubert was standing, and then I was like, oh, no, 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 God, help me get me out of here. Jesus, 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 no, 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 no. And out of nowhere, if you knew Dave Hubert, he had a really deep voice. And he goes, Shh. he goes, Shh. young man. This, I'm the only guy that you're ever going to meet that got his life-changing prophetic word in the bathroom. Young man. Yeah. The Lord says... That you're supposed to go to Bible College thank you for real this really happened and then I just we all finished our business and we didn't speak again for probably seven years and the next time I saw him I was preaching at his church and I'd been to Bible College I'd married Donna we were in youth ministry we were training leaders and I got to sit with him and tell him how he changed my life but can I tell you that it's the call, it's the word that shaped where I would go. And I may even say this, if it hadn't have been for that moment in the bathroom, I may not have been standing in this pulpit today. It takes a, it takes a call. I'll go a little quicker here. Um, taking promise ground requires a Jordan River. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross into the Jordan River, okay? So here they are, they're on the Jordan River, and... Um, Uh, you have to go over it. Now, the Jordan River represents something. It represents the flesh. It represents lack of faith. It represents all the things that you're afraid of. The Jordan River represents everything everything you don't want to do, everything that you've tried to avoid. This is what the Jordan River is. So they walk up, and here they are. He looks across to the other side. He turns around, and he looks at the Israelites behind him. Now, when you read the story, people always wonder how many Israelites were there. Well, in numbers, they number some of the soldiers, the men of fighting age. It says there was about 46,000 men of fighting age. Okay, but that doesn't include all the other men. It also doesn't include all the women and all the children. And it also doesn't include, you got to understand, uh, they, many of them never knew Moses. Many of, most of them, actually, only, there was only two people left who had ever been in Israel who were actually, these people were just waiting around for God to fulfill a promise. They were, they were all standing there, and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5 to 2 million people. We're not talking about 40,000 people. Joshua had a million to two million people standing behind him, and he had to step into the Jordan River. And the Bible says that upstream at a place called Adam, a miracle happened. Have you ever wanted a miracle, but it happens to somebody else? Have you ever had that happen? Happens to be all the time. (laughs) Literally all the time. I pray for things, and then somebody else, and then they testify, and then I'm sitting there going, Lord. Is it fair? Is this wrong? Are they lying? <laughs> Did they take my miracle? Did they steal my miracle? And the Lord says, you're still in the Jordan River. We, have, we, we need to baptize you in this a little longer. You need to sit there until you get over your own flesh. He goes like this. He goes, he goes, he goes just get your guys. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. None of this is actually in the Bible, but it, it kind of fits. It's there, okay? Just trust me. He goes, get all your priests. Go into the water. So they pick up Darth They Go into the water. Here's the priests. And, and uh, Joshua says, when you go in, the water's going to dry up. And it's going to be great. And so they walk in and they're standing there and they're looking at Joshua and the water doesn't dry up. They're just standing there. There's not, nothing happens. Nothing's happening. Go a little deeper. Okay, we're going to obey. Go a little deeper. Nothing's happening. Hey, Joshua, we're, and by the way, the river was at flood stage, right? So, hey, hey Joshua, we could die here we're getting wet. Nothing's happening. There's 2 million people looking at you. You better perform your first miracle or you're gonna, it's going to be the worst dog pile in human history. Right? What are you doing? And the insecurity and the fear that might go a little deeper, go a little deeper, go a little deeper. And the Bible says that up at a place called Adam, 16 miles away from where they were standing, there was a place where a supernatural dam from heaven was built on the spot in the town. 16 miles away. And I've always wondered, why did God build the dam there instead of right where they were crossing? And it's always plagued me. And then one day, when things weren't going the way that I wanted and I was dealing with my flesh, it hit me. It hit me that God is helping me. He's testing me. He's asking me to step out in faith into something that isn't showing any reality yet. But there was a supernatural dam. Can you imagine 16 miles away in this little town? You're having breakfast. You're having a romantic breakfast on the river. And a supernatural dam appears. And the water piles up. The, the Hebrew word, Um, it's almost like, how do I picture this? If you have a bulldozer and you pile up dirt and you keep piling it up, this is the picture that the Hebrew word gives. It's like the water piled up like someone was shoving the water backwards into piles and it just piled up. But up where the miracle was supposed to be taking place, nobody's doing anything but getting wet. And all of those people, and all the stories they heard, see, there are two kinds of miracles in the Bible. There's a Moses miracle and there's a Joshua miracle. Moses was running for his life, being chased by soldiers, everybody's going to die. Listen, if you need Jesus, he's there. Moses runs up to the sea, and he whacks it with a stick, and the thing just opens up on dry land, and they all go running across, but the days of running are over. And now they are in the days of occupying. If you're running from something, then swing sticks and smack the water. But if you are running into something and going into something, then step in and get wet and have faith. It takes one kind of faith to run from something. It takes another kind of faith to run into something. And you have to have a running into faith in the next five years. And when things don't feel comfortable and you you think you're in the water and nothing's happening but getting wet, you need to remember that God has already performed the miracle. He's just waiting to see, will you keep walking forward into what it is that God has called you to walk into? And he starts walking into the water and the priest, every time that they took a step, the water would get a little lower. Every time that they would take a step, the water would get a little lower. And they're about almost to the midpoint and it gets down to their ankles and I realized there were times in my life where I was stepping out in faith like when we're planning the church. I'm stepping out into the river and I felt like I was getting nothing literally but swallowed up by the water around me. And I realized that every once in a while I would take a step backwards in the wrong direction. I've always wondered what would happen if, if the priest would have started to do this. Because if they were going forward and it's going down, if they went backwards, it probably would have went down back up. And there were times where Donna and I were like, what's going on? What's going on? I feel like I this one. And I realized, no, the Lord just said, now you're going in the wrong direction. You need to get your head up and look across over the promise. And you need to keep walking because you are walking into something. You're not running from something. It takes a different strategy and it takes a different faith. And I'll, I'll close with this. Taking a promise ground requires remembering. Remembering. Remembering what God has done. Now, for me, for me, I got radically saved as a young adult, okay? I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I always wished I did, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, my dream is that my kids never have to go through what I went through. Can I hear an amen from the parents? Like, that's our dream, right? But at the same time, I did go through stuff. And I remember when I got saved. And I'm watching, so I'm watching like kids in our kids' church get saved. And it's, it's so beautiful. And I actually went in there one day and kids are getting saved. You know, and I just started to cry because I was so happy for them and happy for the parents. I'm like, this is so good. Um, but I was remembering how I got saved. Now there's, not to compare because there's no comparison, but like I had to, there have been times where I've had to remember. I've had to remember. When I got saved, I was living in Seattle, Washington. I had been homeless actually for two years. I went to Seattle to get away from all my friends who were doing drugs and all the guys who got me into trouble. And there was a pastor, there was a preacher there and his name was Casey Treat. Maybe you heard of that guy, right? right? But we used to watch him at parties. Like we'd get drunk and watch Casey Treat at parties and make fun of him. That was like a party thing for us in Seattle. Because here's this guy with flaming red hair, right? who grew up in downtown Seattle, but talked with a southern accent. So we were convinced he was a fake. You know, nobody who grows up in Seattle talks like this. The Lord wants to do a work in your life, and if you will let him do the work in your life, your life will never be the same. And I'm like, you grew up in Seattle. You know, so we all thought he was fake. One day, Casey Treat was preaching on the, the first disciples who were following Jesus down the river. And... And he turns around and he says to them, he says, hey, what do you guys want? And the, and the disciples go, can you imagine being asked this question? Because they asked the dumbest question in human history. This is, this is literally the, the savior of the world. Um, the, the focus of all of the Hebrew pro- prophecies, the Messiah, turns around and says, what do you want? And all they can come up with is, you know, where are you staying? Say Amen. Where are you staying? Like the savior of the world just asked you a question and you can ask him anything that you want to ask him, anything. And all you could come up with is like, so like, where are you staying? You know? And he knew that they meant more by that question than what they were saying because he knew them from the inside out. And they knew that what he was about to say meant more than what he was about to say because all he said was, hey, why don't you follow me and find out. So I'm in Halloween night, 1989. I'm at the end of my, my rope, my world. I'm drunk after a party, ready to take my own life. I'm walking through the streets of Seattle, Washington, and I get mugged. I get pulled into a little driveway. Beer bottles broke on the ground. I was cut and stabbed over 30 times in my body, and they left me bleeding out for dead. And while I'm laying there, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? And I would, just started to cry out to God. I'm like, God, why? Where are you? If you're real, where are you? Why is my life like this? Why couldn't my life be like that? What, I, I don't even want to live. Where are you? And, and I heard the audible voice of God. I've heard it two times in my life. I heard a voice of God, and this is what he said. He said, why don't you follow me and find out? So I got up, wiped the blood off my body, got myself to the ER, got all stitched up, got back to my little apartment. My girlfriend was there. I broke up with her. She said, why are we breaking up? I said, I don't know. I think I just got saved, and I just don't want to be around you anymore. (laughs) My roommate was there. He might even listen to this message. He listens to my messages once in a while. His name was Jack McCullough Bronner from Dallas, Texas. I said, Jack, I got to leave. He says, why are you leaving? Big chew in his mouth. I said, I think, I, I think I'm think i a Christian. And he goes, born again? <laughs> I didn't know what it was. He said, I, th- I think so. And, he, and then he cussed. And he goes, goes, that ruins everything, you know? And I didn't know what that meant either. Then I realized, well, he's from the South, so he knows the difference between somebody who goes to church and somebody who actually has a relationship with Jesus. So he wanted to know if I was just going to church or if I was born again. So from that moment on, every time in my life, when I was up against something that, that was overwhelming to me, when I found Bible Temple, And I was the first person, you know, unsaved, barely saved person to walk through those doors in a long time. And everybody knew the Bible from beginning to end. Even three-year-olds had Bible degrees. (laughs) I walk into a building with 40 million square feet of purple carpet. And back then, the only people who had purple carpet back in the 80s were cults. Everybody, there were mind readers everywhere prophesying over people. There was youth groups and youth pastors who didn't want anything to do with me. The youth pastor called me aside, didn't even know who I was and said, don't date any of our girls. And I was like, I just want Jesus. Every time that I felt insecure, Every time that I, I wanted to quit, every time that I wanted to leave the ministry and drop out of Bible college, every time I wanted to give up on our church plant, every time that we ran out of money, every time that, you know what I did? In all of those moments when Donna and I were at the end of ourselves, when we had no paycheck, when we're sitting there wondering if we even uh, heard from God, you know what I did? We remember the promise. What did God say in the minivan when we're staring at the thing and he says, I'm gonna send you to Denver, Colorado and you're gonna start a church and people are gonna find a home then. and you're going, to be a, you're going to be a people of presence and you're going to be a people of inheritance and I have an inheritance for you there. Do you know how hard it is to believe that God has an inheritance for you in a place where you have nothing? That's when you need to remember the promise. And so here I am, I'm saying it to you, I'm saying it to myself, even as I'm preaching it, if we're going to take the land and fulfill the promise, we have to remember what it is that God has said. What did he say to you then? Because what he said to you then is the thing he's gonna fulfill today. He will never give up, he will never leave you, he will never stop, he will open every door, he will part every river, he will dry up every ocean, and he will fulfill what he promised that he's gonna fulfill in your life. And I'm finished. Come on, stand to your feet with me. If you could stand to your feet and clap your hands and tell Jesus, Jesus. You love him this morning. Come on. Thank you for giving me a couple of extra minutes. I went over like 15 minutes, but you only have one service today. So I was, I'm thinking we go three hours. We just double up. We just double up. Come here, pastor. Come on. Come here. Just stand next to your wife. Lift your hands towards your leaders. This is just a, a representation. Father, I thank you, Father, for this house, and I thank you for these leaders. And I thank you for what you're doing in their life. The Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help them in those days when they're wondering uh, how they're going to get to the next level. The Lord says, Remember the promise. Remember what I said to you. Remember what I spoke to you. My words were clear then, and my words are clear now. My words are not, are not, are not, uh, fables or myths or arguments or or my, my words are clear that there is a promised people and a promised land and an inheritance for this house. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're going to anoint this place. And I thank you, Lord, for the Jordan Rivers. I thank you, Lord, that sometimes sometime when, when we needed a Moses miracle, you were there. But we're not running from anything now. We're running into something. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this house for the Jerichos. I pray that you would anoint this house for the grace to bring people into this house that had no hope and shouldn't be in the lineage of Jesus I pray that you would fill this house full of Rahabs and grace filled people who need Jesus I pray that you would fulfill every promise that you would touch every heart that you would anoint every person I pray Lord that this would be a home of the presence and a home for people Lord we ask you to come today Jesus we give you all the glory and we give you all the honor and the praise in the name of Jesus now church if you could just close your eyes just for a moment close your eyes just for a second if you're here this morning and your relationship with Jesus is not where it should be and you know it and he knows it and he's just waiting for you I'm going to count to three you may have never prayed or maybe your life is just distant You're, you're distant from him but I got to do this before I go if you know that you need Him at a new level in this season, I count, when I count to three, I want you to lift your hands, and I'm going to pray for you, because I think God's going to do something in your life. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands when I count to three. One, two, three. If that's you, lift your hands. Father, for every hand that is lifted all over this room, I pray, Thank Jesus, you that you would invade their life, that you would fulfill the promise, yeah. that you would heal their hearts. Lord, that you would heal their bodies, you would touch their spirit, and that you would give them the confidence that you're with them. Church, pray this with me out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for all you're doing in my life. Here I stand in your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of all my messes, my mistakes, and my sin. And today, I invite you in to fulfill your promise in my life. In Jesus' name